Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, back with Teresa Chung. Teresa, you are pretty prolific because you've written about angels as well as a precognition. You, you're a great resource for everything we need to talk about. I often say I'm a serial paranormal writer, yes. Um, I've been very blessed to have one or two books coming out every year, and some of them go on to be bestsellers. I'm very blessed. I just feel it's my passion to spread the word, word that spirit is real, and it should be the first, not the last thing that you think about. You've had a chance to talk to our friend Dr. Eben Alexander about near-death experiences as well, haven't you? Yes, he's featured in my books. I've also interviewed him. He is a good friend. Um, yes, um, I love his approach, his honesty, and his authenticity. And wherever I can, I, I you know, if we're talking about near-death experiences, he's my go-to. Um, and um, I have a book, actually, The Afterlife is Real, where I collate lots of other near-death experiences. As these are so common right now. You know, and one of the reasons is because resuscitation techniques are so advanced that people are being pulled back from the brink, whereas 50 or so years ago, they would have died and taken their golden stories with them. But now they're coming back. And even the resuscitation experts who um, have designed equipment, Dr. Sam Parnier being principal among right, them, right. he doesn't actually believe in an afterlife. But all these stories, he says something's going on. In any other field, this would be evidence. This is data. I need to understand what's going on. Um, and I'm following his research very, very closely. Um, and in 2014, that study, which showed that consciousness can survive bodily death by up to three minutes, was very exciting. Um, and there's more ongoing research from thousands of patients in hospitals all over the world currently where they're charting this. What happens to these people? I know all the arguments saying, oh, it's delusion, it's the dying brain, it's hallucination. But in all those cases, typically a person comes back disorientated, depressed, dehabilitated. They don't come back, as near-death experiences tend to do in the majority of cases, rejuvenated with a new found sense of meaning and purpose. I've also interviewed Anita Morjani, another very famous near-death experiencer, who came back totally cured from her cancer because of what she saw in heaven or the afterlife or spirit, whatever you choose to call it. Um, and I just feel these stories are so powerful. They need investigating. And what I've made it my mission to do using my Cambridge background, my academic credentials, is to show that highly educated people, people from all walks of life are having these paranormal experiences. Typically, the, the media likes to think of it as people who are not not too too bright or easily or very gullible who believe in this. And I not so. The stories in all my afterlife um, and and angel books are from people who are barristers, lawyers, doctors. I get lots of stories from doctors, nurses, teachers, mums, dads, students, all walks of life. And I've made it my mission to show intelligent people believe in this too. In fact I think there was a study to show that the more intelligent you are the more likely you are to believe in the possibility of there being more to this life than the material. I love that. I mean, some of the greatest, greatest minds, people we wouldn't think would believe in this, you know, Nobel Prize winners like Brian Johansson, all these people who believe 
in this possibility, but they don't believe it just because it's belief. There is proof out there. And I'm trying to show that a lot of this proof is hidden in scientific journals and written in academic jargon, which is quite hard for people who are non-scientists to understand. And that's why I love the Premonition Code with neuroscientist Dr. Mossbridge, who sure. has been on this show. Because I was looking at her research and thinking, how can I make this as understandable as possible for people like myself, because I'm not a scientist, how can I make it accessible? And that book, I'm so proud of. It was reviewed in a science journal. It made it to the front page of the Daily Mail. I was asked to go on to Russell Brand to talk about my work with scientists in the paranormal. All these things, that, and that's why I collaborated with a neuroscientist, because it really helped get attention to what I've been writing about. I mean, it's all very well. I do a lot of comforting books, which are personal stories, and there's a place for that. But I wanted to push it further. And that's also why I've debated with skeptics like Piers Morgan, with Michael Marshall from The Guardian over here. And, and you know, I'm open to talking to skeptics. I love that debate. Do you change their minds sometimes? I don't try to change their mind. I just say, this is where I'm at. This is what the research is. You're saying there's no science. I'm saying there is. You know, this is your belief. This is mine. Let's agree to disagree. And what's been lovely is that there's been a lot of laughter and connection, and mm -hmm. I feel so proud of that. I mean, that I've been able to do that. So, and I think the more we talk about this and the more we open our minds to this possibility, and scientists, the good news is scientists are starting to open their minds to this. They are understanding that you can't just define yourself by the material, what you can see, touch, feel. There is an invisible inner world, an unseen world, and that is the world which gives us our lives meaning and purpose, love, connection. That is what, is what really matters in life. And in, even in scientific experiments, you can't deny the inner world of the experimenter, the, the role of the observer on the observed. Scientists are starting to see that this is very important to study, and I find that very, very exciting. Scientists are actually much more open to it than you would think, but because of the, their sort of like condition to sort of deny all this, it's taking a long time to overcome that prejudice. But there's a whole new generation of scientists um, coming forward, saying they've had paranormal experiences, wanting to understand them. That's what it is. What is going on? And I go back to dreams. What, where do we go when we dream? Why do we have them? Some dreams are so vivid and realistic. People have dreamed up future scenarios that later play out. People have met departed loved ones in their dreams, and there is research to show that if you have a dream of someone who's departed, especially now with, with the virus that a lot of people hadn't had a chance to say goodbye, the healing that happens after that I had dreams of my departed mother because I wasn't able to say goodbye to her. Uh -huh. But I had a conversation with her in a dream, which was extraordinary. And it, and it actually did what grief therapy couldn't. Sure, it gave you the closure you needed. Yes, you can meet the spirits of departed loved ones in dreams. It is a world out there. It is a place you can go. You can be anything. You can do anything you want. It's extraordinary. And as I said, the more control and understanding that you have of that invisible world, which begins with your dreams, and I love that because whoever you are, whatever your race, culture, or background, 
you will dream. It unites us. Everybody dreams, whoever they are. And that's why I believe Spirit, the afterlife, has chosen dreams to break through right now to remind us that we're all human beings and we all have a shared dreaming experience. I really hope your night people will have wonderful dreams after listening to this. As I said, the more attention you pay to your dreams, the more likely you are to have them. And if you say you don't remember your dreams, you do. You've just been conditioned to forget them. And there are certain techniques to help you recall them and get the most out of them. Dreams can enrich your life in so many ways. I have had people who had, you know, they've dreamt that they had an illness or a cancer, and they, a few weeks later, it has come true. Dreams can even save lives. There's that. Oh, there's, there's no question about it. And Teresa, you've got a degree in theology, which means have, to me yes. that you must be pretty spiritual as well, correct? I am. I was born in a family of spiritualists, and I actually spent time considering my options. I went to a retreat to consider whether I wanted to have the contemplative life as a nun. Um, and I realized in the end that that wasn't for me. I wanted, I'm very hungry for knowledge. But what I wanted to do was to explore it. Because I was born into a family of spiritualists. Talk of seeing dead people was commonplace. You know, I, from the age of two or three, I would go to spiritualist meetings and I would see a medium connecting with the other side. So I was very familiar with that. The frustration with me is that I never could see dead people. I couldn't see angels jumping out of people's hair, but I believed it. Right. So I thought there must be a lot of other people like that, and this has happened to me for a reason, because I think if I had that ability, I wouldn't have been able to get my message out in such the same way. And people who followed me over the years, a lot of my books are my journey about trying to understand how I can have my special ability, and eventually understanding that I've had it all along, bit like the Wizard of Oz, I just didn't realize what it was at the time. I have had powerful dreams. I have had intuitions which saved my life. I have had coincidences and afterlife signs which have been turning points. Heaven which has chosen to spoken to me, speak to me in a different way. And also I feel very blessed to have gone to King's College, Cambridge University. In the 80s I went, very traditional place, and they accepted someone with me with all these bizarre beliefs, and well, they would have thought of them as bizarre, I think they're ordinary, and that has given me the ability to write all these books. I'm sure that has opened the door with many publishers, but in the publishing world as well, you know, I've, I've had battles there away at how they present the paranormal. Um, when my first book got to the Sunday Times Top 10, a national newspaper over here sent a newspaper to my house, and they were very disappointed I didn't have a crystal ball long fingernails and everything, and they even suggested going out to the shops to get one. That image of the paranormal person being slightly mad, slightly, you know, you know eccentric, I've tried to, to show, no, I'm completely normal. Um, and I, that, that's been what I've been trying to do with every single book. My latest, The Sensitive Soul, has done that even more, and I'm very grateful to the publishers, Bookashore Thread Hadjet, for giving me that opportunity to show that there are a lot of sensitive souls out there. They just don't realize they're sensitive. Absolutely. And I'm trying to show them people who have compassion, kindness, and a belief that there is more to this life than meets the eye. Because at the end of the day, I've also worked in a hospice. I have seen people lose their lives. I've held hands as people have passed. I can tell you they never talk about the material. They talk about love. 
feelings, hope, connection. And that's the world all my books are about. That is the only real world world when someone is close to passing. As far as I know, all the phone calls on 9-11, those planes, were about love. Not, can you check my stock market or can you check No, none of that. Yeah, how much have I left you or something like that. Yes. But during this pandemic situation, Teresa, are you getting more and more response to people having strange dreams and things like that? Oh, they are completely... A lot of Zoom dreams, which is funny, uh, because obviously a lot of people are Zooming. We tend to sort of use images from what's very current. A lot of pandemic dreams. I'm getting a lot of people writing to me, you know, people walking around with masks, that they dreamt this in 2019, and people showing me proof. I had this dream that I was waking up and everybody had masks and visas on. Yet the bizarre dreams and scenarios are simply reflecting the confusion and chaos. And what our dreaming mind is trying to do is send us these images in our dreams to try as cathartic, for example. A lot of it's cathartic to try and give us emotional relief from the, from the confusion. And also, sometimes the dreams are very vivid and bizarre because our dreaming mind wants to give us a bit of adventure and fun because it's not fun right now. So sometimes our dreaming mind just wants to give us a bit of escapism, and we should enjoy that aspect of our dreaming as well. Um, But also a lot of dreams about meeting departed loved ones, night visions. Um, um, Yes, I'm basically, sorry, I get so excited um, by your question that, yes, I'm being inundated, but I love it because dreams to me are the entry point to a paranormal, to the paranormal world, the other world that... We have grown accustomed over the decades to deny the existence of. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.